Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. When my wife and I were first married, um, I worked an IT job setting up computers and doing network software. Most days, sadly, I would come home pretty listless, sad and uninterested in what I had spent the day doing. I was just trying to survive, and I knew it. Church, I think there might be many of us who have come today or can remember a time in the past where our work felt that way. And we popularly hear this uh, in uh, um, talk with other people around us or social media or whatever. It's the living for the weekend mentality, right? But I think this is a ditch that we can fall into. It's survival living, survival working. And unfortunately, there's also another ditch on the other side of the road. Um, and that is the ditch of self-fulfillment. That we see our lives and our work as a means of accomplishing our goals. And unfortunately, so easily, work can become a god in our life because we look to it to feel better about ourselves. We can fall into the other ditch of seeing our lives as a playground for self-fulfillment. But church, what if Jesus wants more for you this morning? What if he wants you to see past mere survival or self-fulfillment to your higher calling? What if he wants to reorient you this morning to transform your mind, your perception, so that you see as he sees? You see what you do the way he sees what he does. What if Jesus wants to give us a broader, grander, God-focused vocation for everything that we do at home and at work and at play? And that is the good news this morning, church. Jesus wants to give you his vocation. So let's cut to the chase. What is Jesus' vocation that he's inviting you into? One word. You can go home and tell your grandparents or go home and tell your grandkids. The one word, worship. Worship is Jesus' vocation. And that is exactly the vocation that Jesus wants to see, wants you to see everything you do fall within. Worship. You see, Jesus wants you, your whole life, everything you do at home and at work and at play, everything about you, to be offered to God. We call ourselves in the liturgy following the Holy Scripture, a kingdom of priests. We are made to be priests to our God, kings and queens who offer ourselves and the works of our hands to God. And further, thus, we represent him to the world because our God wants not just our worship, but the worship of all the peoples in the world that he has made. Jesus' mission is the worship of every man, woman, and child on the planet. Now that is a grand calling. That is what Jesus is inviting you into this morning that's beyond survival and self-fulfillment. That's a beautiful vision, amen? amen? And as I've said before, I'd close in prayer here, but that'd be letting you off the hook way too easy. So let's go on. This morning, all four of our readings reveal Jesus' vocation. 
that God would receive the worship of every man, woman, and child on earth. We heard in the prophets, Isaiah 56, that Isaiah is prophesying that Israel's salvation, their Messiah, we'll find out, will include all the nation's salvation. And do you hear the image of it? It's an image of worship. They're offering to God uh, their uh, themselves. Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Jesus' vocation is no less than God receiving the worship of all the nations. We had it again in Psalm 67 that we prayed. Verse 2, what did we ask for? That God's blessing, his saving work would be granted to whom? All the nations. And we declared it in verse 3, 4, 5, and 7 that our desire is that all the peoples would worship our creator. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Oh, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Jesus' vocation is no less than God receiving the worship of all the nations. And turns out we heard it again in the epistle, Romans 11. St. Paul is prophetically reflecting on our heavenly father's unbelievable plan to save the whole world. And what Paul, what Paul says is he's seeing in his own day, the Jews continue to reject Jesus as their Lord, as their King, as their Messiah. And they're persecuting the church. But what's the result that Jesus does? He sends the apostles out to where? All the nations. Romans 11, uh, Romans, yeah, 11, verse 11. Paul says, through Israel's trespass, Salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Thanks be to God that in time, that same apostolic ministry would come to us, 21st century Texans, and we too would be grafted into God's family. Church, we are the first fruits of the nations coming to worship the God of Israel, our creator. And of course, St. Paul shares, there afterward, uh, shares afterwards that he's confident in his hope that the Jews too will be grafted back in because of God's great mercy. Yes, Lord, we pray, please do that before the end. Jesus' vocation is no less than God receiving the worship of all the nations, including us. That brings us to today's gospel. We meet a woman there who appeals to Jesus' vocation. You see, at the beginning of the passage, we heard how Jesus is very confident that his earthly ministry is to the Jews. But this woman comes, and Jesus just can't help himself but attract all the nations to his worship. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is not in Judea ministering to the Jews, it turns out. He's up in Gentile land along the, sea of, uh, along the Mediterranean Sea, in Gentile land among the nations. He's in the large port cities of Tyre and Sidon. 
And it's interesting, these are port cities that would export the riches of Israel out to Rome, right? And we have the king here who, in the end, is going to be ingathering all the riches of the nations to the worship of Israel. But as you'd expect, because we're there, we find a Gentile foreigner called in verse 22, a Canaanite woman. And this poor woman's daughter is under oppression by an evil spirit. This woman has a big spiritual problem. She is desperate. Her child is lost mentally, emotionally, maybe even physically under the power of Satan. The woman is at the end of her rope. Hopeless and desperate is she. So what does she do? She does what only what any of us can do when we're faced with trials and temptations. Turn to the one who can help us. She turns to Jesus. Is he merely the king of Israel, as he suggests? She knows he's more. He has God's own power. She has seen it in his works. She has heard the stories. He's the God-man who can stop a storm, heal the sick, even raise the dead. So, of course, he can command the spirits. Jesus has God's own power to save all that is broken. He is the creator who can handle anything that we or this woman can bring to him. He is the king of creation. And so this woman, a Gentile, a foreigner, a person among the nations, believes in him. Church, she is so full of faith. She trusts him. She doesn't come presuming, as you heard, but she is assured. She is so trustful that she only begs him for a little bit of his divine ability. A mere crumb off his table is enough for her. Even the smallest thing that Jesus could do is enough for her. I have an encouragement for you this morning. If you have showed up to worship, you have shown that you have that mustard seed of faith that Jesus asks of you. None of us here deserve Jesus' pardon and empowerment from the trials and tribulations of our last week or those that you will face this week. But because you are here, you show that you trust him. You know that he loves you. You know that he is merciful. And we trust that as we come to the altar, just a mere morsel of the bread that we are about to receive, Jesus' own body and blood will be enough for us. He is sufficient for whatever need you're bringing to him this morning. And so soon we will pray that we do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord. And a, but apart from your grace, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. But you are the same Lord who always delights in showing mercy. This woman's trust in him is so great. Our, our trust in him is so great that Jesus can't help himself, church. He's overcome by his vocation. Every man, woman, and child, be they an outsider, a foreigner, no matter what they've done or thought of themselves, are welcome in Jesus' kingdom. As a result of our faith, Jesus 
chooses by his miraculous divine strength to manifest himself in response to this woman's trust. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit and her daughter is healed. Likewise this morning, our Lord will miraculously manifest his sacramental power and presence to us in response to our faith. The woman's daughter and we are then made right with God, healed and empowered to take his presence with us as his representatives in the world. Jesus' vocation is no less than God receiving the worship of every man, woman, and child on the planet. And this morning he is calling us to receive that vocation as well. So I've got two brief ways this morning that we can receive Jesus' vocation for us this week. The first one is this. We simply invite every person, man, woman, and child, from every culture in the world to worship God through Jesus Christ our Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a fall kickoff coming up. If you want an actual checkbox to do, who can you invite to come worship our God through Jesus Christ our Lord? In a book that I recommend called Let the Nations Be Glad, Pastor John Piper summarizes this missional aspect of our vocation. The main point of the book, if you don't want to read it, is captured in this famous line. Mission exists because worship does not. I think that's right. Mission exists because worship does not. A clear implication is that we join uh, the work of inviting everyone into relationship with Jesus and to worship our God through him. A clear and obvious uh, part of this, of all the nations, is our work with global missions here at Christchurch. We just sent a group of people from our parish to Tanzania. And they encouraged one another in the faith and they talked about um, what mission might be there for us to be a part of, that we have been a part of, um, and to encourage each other in the church. We also do this by supporting many missionaries as a parish. And I know many of you support many missionaries, global missionaries yourselves. Right now, uh, an encouragement for you is there is truly an amazing Anglican work going on among Muslim background believers in the Middle East. And Christ Church is very much a participant through prayer and support of that ministry. Mission exists because worship does not. But this morning, Jesus is also inviting us, you and me, to become missionaries in our own place. You see, we live in a global age. You can, in fact, have global impact here in Midland, Texas. And perhaps for most of us, you can have missionary impact just with those people around you. The good news of relationship with God through Christ is going forth from everywhere to everywhere. This is an unprecedented time that we live in. And it starts with us being missionaries to those people God puts right in front of us. Being a missionary to the people around him was Jesus' mission. Because his vocation is that God would receive the worship of all the nations. Every man, woman, and child that you see as you travel about Midland and the country and the world 
was created to be a worshiper of the one God who has made himself known in Jesus Christ. This is Jesus' vocation, and he is inviting you into it. Mission exists because worship does not. Second, we receive Jesus' vocation as worshipers when we see that work is part of our worship. Work is part of our worship while worship is our vocation. When I was back working in that IT office, it wasn't the work that was the problem. I was the problem. My view of work was misguided. It was wrong. You see, I saw it as survival, not as worship. Worship is our vocation, but our work is part of our worship. I mean here more than merely ethics and character development. A Protestant work ethic is important. You ought to become like Jesus through your work. But I mean your actual work is important. I mean the things you do and create are worship. Be you in the old business or show business. Be you forming children or forming spreadsheets. Be you a grocery store worker or a retiree. Be you a gardener or a hunter. Be you feeding your loved ones or feeding the birds, an artist or an administrator. Whatever it may be, the work of your hands itself is worship when you offer it to God and when you produce beauty and goodness and truth that corresponds with the beauty and goodness and truth that God has given us in the material world. Worship is our vocation. But work is part of our worship. You see, we so quickly rush to Genesis 3, and we see our work as a pain and as a toil and as frustrating. And we forget that now we have Jesus who redeems all of our life. The nine-tenths of the stuff that you do that's not here in capital W worship, your worshipful life at home and at work and at play that is where Jesus wants to meet you and work in you worship. We are restored and elevated to Genesis 1 and 2. And we can see our work as a duty and our joy. How? Because we get to go back and fill the earth and bring order to the material world and become co-artists and artisans with God and improve our society and our world and finally offer it back to God again. And in fact, we do that each week. We will soon hear, therefore, let us with gladness present the offerings and oblations of our life and labor to the Lord. One of my favorite things as a dad of young children is when they bring me their work. At this stage, it's their art, right? They're coloring, they're painting for older kids, it may be their sports or hobbies or schoolwork. And if you're a parent of school-age kids or you remember those days, do you remember how delightful that was to have your kids bring you something that they had made? They offer it to me because it's part of them. This is how the father feels about you and your work. He doesn't need your offerings and oblations. He has a cattle on a thousand hills. He gave you all that stuff. But oh, church, 
how he loves to see you and the work of your hands. He loves to see how you want to be beautiful and do beautiful things. And when you offer it to him, when you have worked as hard as you can to make the works of your hands good and beautiful and true as you know how, you have fulfilled your vocation. And that becomes worship. Worship is your vocation. And work is part of your worship. So this morning, let us offer ourselves to God, body and soul, as well as the works of our hands. And we go now to the altar of God to do that very thing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.